Active 911 is proud to partner with the Code 3 podcast. Active 911 designs technology for first responders to help heroes save lives. Learn more at active911.com. Hey, that's not a survivable space. And, and now I cringe when I hear that. Like, how do you know? You know, you didn't try. You didn't know that was a survivable space because we didn't try to give the, the victim an opportunity to survive. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic that you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started got a question for you today. Why did you become a firefighter? I know you probably haven't had to think about it since you were interviewed before you were hired for this job. But why did you choose this career? If you're like most people, you'll probably mention something at some point about saving lives. And that's great. It's noble. It's important. Now a second question. When was the last time you trained on saving lives? That's not counting training on paramedic skills. Sure, you can pull a line or throw a ladder in your sleep. You can force a door with a halligan. You can even find a rescue dummy in a maze training exercise. But that isn't really rescuing someone, is it? Finding them is hard enough, but getting them out of the fire is a whole other thing. My guest today says his department's culture had emphasized putting out fires and firefighter safety so heavily that they had practically overlooked training to rescue the victims of those fires. So he changed that philosophy when he became chief. Daniel Folks has been the chief of the Hammond, Louisiana Fire Department since June 2019. He has 23 years of fire service experience, both as a volunteer and a career firefighter. He's an instructor at the Louisiana Fire and Emergency Training Academy. And Daniel Folks joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on. It's good to have you. You're the chief of a smallish career department, right? Yeah, the city of Hammond, we, we have a population, uh, according to the U.S. Census, of about uh, around 20,000. But our daytime population can get uh, 70 and 80,000 just because we're kind of a, a hub for the area. Now, last year, your department ran two fires where your crews were unable to rescue victims. Yes. The firefighters actually got to them, but they couldn't get them out. Correct. Tell me what effect that had on you as a fairly new chief. I would say it had a positive and negative effect. Uh, it it kind of gave me a, a little drive to do better. And then also, we, you know, we had to kind of deal with the, the mental aspect of that and, and what it did to myself and, and, our, and our firefighters because... Uh, you know, of course, that's a, a tough, tough thing to have to go through. So set the scene for me. What happened? How did it go down? Well, it was it was a uh, just an extenuating circumstance. Uh, one of the houses was just extenuating circumstances. 
stairwell where the victim was at on the upper floor was just really hard to find. Uh, our guys had a very difficult time finding it. And by the time we got up there, you know, our guys were really low on air. So they started to try to get the victim out. And then uh, two of my guys actually ran out of air while actually in the building. So we kind of had a little mayday situation going on. Uh, so we got those those guys out and got fresh guys in, and it just it went on and on. And finally, we just had to kind of call it on that. That was one fire. How did the other one go? The other one was uh, the fire actually started exterior and then cut off uh, cut off egress, and then actually got into the bedroom where the the occupant was. Uh, our guys made it in, but just kind of made the determination once they found them that it wasn't a viable. Bible rescue, uh, and this is just based on their experiences, uh, which really, you know, they were kind of skewed with with how I felt the teachings have, have, have been for firefighters. So were they playing it too safe? I, I think so. I, I think that's, you know, we, we've, we've had so many smoke reading classes and fire behavior classes and, and all that kind of stuff that they really don't, they don't, they, they they skew your, your, your read on, on buildings and, you know, they teach us, Hey, always play it on the safe side, you know, or, Hey, that's not a survivable space. And, and now I cringe when I hear that, like, how do you know, you know, you didn't try, you didn't know that was a survivable space because we didn't try to give the, the victim an opportunity to survive. But at the same time, your guys need you home at the end of their shift. So how do you judge the risk? So it, it's it's really a I think it's we're, we always approach things from a risk and not a, a mitigation standpoint. We know the risks. We know fires are hot. Situations can go bad, but if we are able to mitigate that from the get go, if we show up and say, "Hey, I have the right attack package. I have the right skill set. We have the right training. We're going to go and start mitigating the problems that that we're facing." We, we begin to open opportunities rather than sit there from the, the street and close opportunities before we're, we're given the chance. And that's a big focus that I've put into our fire department. We've really made some, some big strides in changing the way we think, changing the way we attack our fires. And so as a result of this, you've had a, I'll call it an epiphany, that perhaps fire fire culture has become more wrapped up with putting out the fire and not as concerned with search and rescue. Absolutely. And I think you can't do one without the other. Uh, I think, you know, the whole culture, the, the whole rescue culture thing is, is the first thing we have to do is get water on the fire. We've got to get a good line in place because of our, our, the dynamics of fire growth. You know, things are really burning more violently and rapidly growing, especially when firefighters show up and start opening doors and, and windows and such. So if we can if we can maximize our opportunities, get the right size lines in, support that first line, and then get a search in right behind it, we're starting to give our citizens a little bit better chance and not just so much focusing on that attack line, but hey, we're gonna we're gonna focus on the attack line in order to get this search in 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 the building as quickly as possible. Anyone who has listened to this show for a while knows I'm a big advocate for better, more realistic training. 
How would you assess the typical training that firefighters are getting for rescue scenarios? So what we're doing, what we've done previously is we've put firefighters in this, uh, I, I call it a choo-choo train effect to where we're scared to scared that they, you know, don't lose your partner, don't lose touch with your partner. And we've kind of put them in the, I call it the four wheel drive position where they got hands and knees on the ground and we go around the perimeter of the room and then, you know, they might find rescue Randy or they might find a hose dummy that weighs 40 pounds. Uh, and then once they find them, there's no real emphasis on actually getting them out. It's okay, cool. You found them. And at least that's the experience that I've had. Or, you know, it's a, a maze trailer where we, where we put firefighters in and we try to tangle them up and, and teach them to take their air packs off trying to get into something. It's not realistic for what they're going to be facing in an in a actual environment. You know, you may roll in and it might be an open floor plan with a lot of furniture. Or you, you could hit the front door and it'd be a, a hoarder or heavy content can type conditions. You know, we're not really training our guys for that. And then there's emphasis on some tools and stuff that we have at our, our fingertips now that are really great tools called thermal imaging cameras. Like that should be revolutionizing the fire service as we know it. And, and it just seems like there's not a lot of folks grabbing that and taking it and utilizing it uh, in their department. And that's one focus area that I've really been into uh, in here soon, uh, all my company officers are going to be getting off the truck with what we call a, a, a decision-making camera. But every firefighter will have at least a situational awareness camera uh, attached to them. That way they can utilize that to either aid them in the search or help them remain oriented or, or what have you. I'll be back with more right after this. Looking to decrease your response times? With Active Alert, get calls straight to your phone from dispatch via the app. Available for Android, iPhones, and tablets. Plus, get directions to the scene. Have all CAD notes in one place. See who's responding. And quickly identify nearby map markers like hydrants and pre-plans. With a low per-device price, Active Alert is a must-have tool for first responders. See for yourself why it's trusted by thousands of firefighters nationwide. Start your free trial today at Active911.com. So what's the real world difference between being aggressive and being reckless? Uh, it's a training thing. Well, all right, but, but when you're aggressive, you take risks, and when you're reckless, you take risks also. So how do how do we judge the difference? I think it 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 all falls back on the the mindset and what you're teaching your firefighters. Hey, this is you know if you're teaching a guy to to push a hallway, this is this is how you properly push a hallway with a an attack package. This is what you should be seeing, you know. And and this is this is you know we also need to teach the opposite side of that if you're seeing this type of reaction then you don't need to push in. You know, if you pull up and, and you've got a full house burning, uh, fire blowing out of every window and door, that's not a, a, a survivable situation. That's not an interior attack type of situation. And, and it really takes strong officers with good experience 
and, and a good incident commander to to kind of rein his people in to make those good decisions. And, you know, we've got lots of leadership classes out there, lots of, uh, you know, hose advancement classes out there. They're all great, but tying all that stuff in into in, into actually operating on the fire ground is, I think, where we need to, to put a little bit more focus. And that will help mitigate guys who just simply see something on YouTube and, and try to mimic it to actually understanding that all this stuff goes into a process and you can't necessarily do one without the other. All right. Now let's talk about leadership from your point of view. I imagine that you are at least occasionally the IC on some of these fires. What role do you play in trying to motivate these guys to make sure that they're actually searching and they're not just searching for the flames to put them out? We've, we've put a lot of emphasis on actually assigning that primary search. So what we did is we instituted a truck company concept. And it's if you look in Louisiana, truck company concept or truck culture is not very prevalent. But what I did is essentially I have a uh, two companies that are kind of married together, and we call it a ladder and a squad. The ladder's minimum staff with three people. The squad's minimum staff with two. Uh, and so they kind of operate together on the fire ground and what ladder is going to do is they're going to take care of any forcible entry and then they're going to do ventilation and then of course if it's a multi-story they're going to take the floor the you know the floor above ground squad's primary responsibility is to get in behind the hose team and do a primary search and so as i see i'm i'm, I'm listening for those units to show up on scene and, and making sure and re-emphasizing that primary search assignment because I want to know where they're at, okay? Did you go in alpha side, delta side? Where are you starting this primary search at? Uh, so I kind of have a, a gauge on where you're at and your progress. I just did an interview with a chief at a volunteer fire department where they might have a two-man rig as their first do at a fire. He said his objective is to put water on the fire He said his objective... <clears throat> He said his objective is to put water on the fire first because putting it out makes everything else better. Correct. What do you say? Absolutely. I 100% support that. We've got to get water on the fire. My staffing in my department is 20. And, and of course, with sick leave and vacation, we get 16 on a good day. So most of my engines are showing up with two people. Uh, We get nine to 10 people first alarm on a structure fire. So that engine, when it pulls up, it knows what it has to do. It has to get the line off, get it in place, and start getting water on the fire. And that's, that's how we start mitigating some of our risk that you say, you know, if you have the manpower, yeah, you search ahead of the attack line, that's great. But we've got to get that hose line in place. And it's not just to protect our search team. It's to make the fire better. It's to get that line in between the fire and our civilians. And that's an important piece of that puzzle. You know, and it's, it's not, hey, we're just focused on search and rescue. No, we want the fire ground to, to take that rescue as a priority. Everything around and, and, and happening on the fire ground needs to be supporting the search. And, and I think that's a, a big thing that sometimes is missed. We, we get so wrapped up into fire extinguishment or search, and it's, it's both. We always need to, to, to try to do our best to, to get firefighters to occupy spaces in that structure that's burning 
in order to get get our civilians out because we have all this great protections. They don't. Well, let's say that your truck and squad combo arrives first. What are they expected to do? Are they expected to start a search or they, do they have some other goal? So we have little deviations to where, you know, that squad is, is, is essentially an engine company at heart, but their, their specialty is that primary search. So they would just kind of fill that, that engine role and the truck would actually, uh, basically we would kind of split crew a little bit. Two of the guys would, would go in on the primary. And then, of course, your your driver, your your rig is gonna is gonna rig up and start, uh, you know, checking on the ventilation and, and forceful entry if he needs to, you know. And we're not necessarily we, we've been teaching a lot to go to the roof uh, and, and try to cut a hole, but you know, in a manpower limited situation, it might just be just as beneficial to take that window at that you know find the hottest window, take it out, or hey, find where the fire's blowing out and take the next window try to increase that ventilation uh, to try to get the fire, trying to get that flow path right and, and get, get the, the, the bad stuff getting out of the house and, and in order for our, our hose teams and search teams to be able to search in as close to that fire as we can. How has your department changed now that you've changed your attitude about searching versus just putting out the flames? Um, it's, it's been a morale booster. Um, just earlier this year, and I forgot the date, we actually uh, we pulled up to a fire. Engine crew went in, attacked the fire. Search team went in, and we actually made a grab. Uh, the victim didn't survive, but he had a pulse when he left the scene. And, you know, that was a, a big moment of, hey, guys, you know, this is not – I'm not trying to sell you sell you something that doesn't work. It works. And everybody kind of saw that. And it was a big shot in the arm for our department. And then – just a few months later, we, we made another one. We had a two-story uh, burning. And, you know, because that prior, priority was on rescue, they're getting out of that truck thinking, okay, there could possibly be a victim in here. We're going to go find them. And and they, they pulled somebody else out, you know. And it, it was just a situation where it was a, an elderly had, had been up where the fire was, made it down to the first floor, but then couldn't make it out because of the smoke conditions. And, you know, our guys did an awesome job in, in both those scenarios. And it just, it, it kind of proves that we're on the right track. We're not, we're not 100% there yet, but we're getting there and we're working and doing our best to, to get there. I'm kind of curious about something you said that made the point to the firefighters that search was valuable. Was there some sort of a disconnect where when you told them we're going to change our philosophy a little bit, they said, wait a minute, we're, we're doing fine the way we are? I don't think any of them thought that. I think it was just that's the way we operated. And, you know. Because we've always done it that way. Right. Comfort, comfort is the enemy of growth, but it's a hard thing to overcome. People don't like being uncomfortable for the most part. So if somebody's comfortable and things are going okay, and it's not really that big of a deal for them, that's probably where they're going to stay. So when you begin to push them a little bit and they get uncomfortable, there may be a little resistance, but once you show them that, hey, this this makes sense, this is worth what we're trying to do here, you get that buy-in. And that's something that we've seen. They were looking at, you know, they looked at me like I was crazy, like, well, yeah, that's why we're here. We're, We're we're, we're here to save lives. Yeah, but how we were operating on the fire ground at the time, 
didn't necessarily support that 100%. You know, we were really focused on the fire. We're going to get in there. We're going to put the fire out. And, hey, does anybody know if anybody's still inside? You know, that was always the question we asked a little bit later. My focus and my orders are we assume somebody's in there until we figure out they're not. And, you know, because that's our job. We're, we should be the professionals. And whether you're a volunteer department or a paid department, professionalism doesn't care. Uh, the fire doesn't care. We should take that and say, hey, we're going to make sure that nobody's in the structure and, 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 and because we're the most qualified to do that, not some bystander, not, you know, the, the police department or whatever, and, and, and not even somebody that was in the house because we've seen times to where, you know, hey, and this is a national thing. If you look at like firefighterrescuesurvey.com, they have a lot of statistics to where there was a report of, hey, everybody's out the building and firefighters went in and found somebody inside. So we always have to make sure we're the ones that are supposed to do that and just bringing that back into focus. And then not just, not just saying it, backing it up, supporting that, giving them the tools and the resources to do that a lot better is key. You can't just say we're going we're gonna to support search. You've got to invest into it. And that investment includes the time and training. Absolutely. Time training, attack packages, you know, equipment whatever needs to, to happen because, you know, when those folks dial 911, we're their, we're their only option at that point in time. You know, that's their worst day. We should be showing up and, and they should trust us to get the job done. And, you know, that's something I take to heart. And, I, and the viewpoint I always try to, to push across to, to my guys is think if it was your family and think if it was your house, you know, who do you want showing up to solve your problem? You know, and if it's not your crew, if it's not your department, then it's time to go to work. And, and I think if we look at it from that viewpoint, we'll do a lot better as a fire service in general. All right. That pretty well sums it up. Daniel Falks, thank you very much for talking with me today on Code 3. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. And there's more about training for rescues and the philosophy behind it at our website. Code3podcast.com slash rescue culture. All one word, rescue culture. Take a look. And don't forget, you can still find Code3 merch. You want to wear a Code3 t-shirt, don't you? I have a couple myself. Just go to Code3podcast.com slash store. Support the show, wear our logo, and if someone asks you about the podcast, you can tell them about it. That's the best way to spread the word, by word of mouth. So head over to Code3Podcast.com slash store and order your shirt today. And once again, I'd like to thank Active911 for their sponsorship of our show. They keep us going. Check them out at Active911.com. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.